Hello and welcome to the Banker podcast series, Banking in Transition, where we explore how banking has changed through the COVID-19 pandemic and is adapting for the future. In this series, the Banker's editors are interviewing industry experts from around the world to gather insights and advice on specific challenges, best practices and innovations that can help banks and their customers as we move towards a new normal in banking. I'm Kimberly Lung, and today I'm speaking with Tarek El Yafi, Managing Director of Transaction Banking at Standard Chartered. Thanks for joining me today, Tarek. It's great to be here. So to start with, the mobile payments ecosystem in Asia is one of the most advanced in the world. What can Western markets learn from this? The Asian banking infrastructure 15 to 20 years ago was really underdeveloped. Um, Cash was heavily used. Regulation around digital transactions was really non-existent, and a huge portion of the population was relatively unbanked. By contrast, if you take a look at the West, actually has a very mature banking infrastructure. But the heavy usage uh, of credit cards means that actually the West is already fairly advanced when it comes to digital payment methods. You know, folks are quite comfortable using their credit cards, debit cards. The difference is it can be quite exclusive. So financial inclusion wasn't really the, the name of the game for mobile payment users in, in the West. There are three factors to mobile payment success that we've seen out of Asia. If you take China as an example, the first was there's lack of supply, as I mentioned. There's, there's, even though there's a lot of banks, cash was the main payment method, and digital services such as credit cards was actually really, really not used in, in, in China. The second point is regulations. There's really no regulatory guidelines around mobile payments until 2010, when there were already hundreds of millions of users leveraging the two main platforms in China, which is WeChat Pay and Alipay. And even in 2010, when they started to implement regulatory guidelines, it was quite experimental. And it was, it was very, still very open to what these companies can do. And the, and the third driver was really innovation. So when, when the rise of smartphones really started to become prevalent at, in the 2000s, in the early 2000s, that's what really triggered a lot of innovation by the two major mobile money pay, uh, providers in China. So the, the biggest driver was this invention of the QR code, which is called a quick response code. QR means quick, quick response. And today, that's what's really driving a lot of usage in China to, to bring uh, people and businesses to the mobile payment space. The reason that this is a big deal is even if you weren't sophisticated, even if a merchant was not a sophisticated merchant, i.e. they didn't have tons of technology, they can easily print out a QR code that shows them their banking details or their, their payment details. And then it essentially makes it very easy for anybody who wants to pay them to just scan the code and voila, you're part of the mobile payment revolution. So I think that's, that's, um, those three things have driven the success in, in China. If you dig into the success that we've seen, and I mentioned that in 2011, only 3% of all payments in China were done by mobile payments. Today, it's over 93%. And so there's a number of reasons for that. So, and those are the things that I think 
the West can learn from. So there, there's, uh, there's five I'd like to cover. One is it's cheap. Most transactions are free. So it, cheap meaning mobile processing varies from zero to 0.3%. Percent. You know, compare that to a credit card, which is, you know, costs three to 4% typically for merchants to, to leverage uh, the credit card schemes. And cash, even though cash may seem cheap, it's actually not, it's not cheap. Cash is actually costs between four to 5% on average. If you think about the soft costs of, of managing cash, the, you know, lost cash, fraud, uh, the, the banking fees associated with cash deposits, the float that you lose, uh, the reconciliation that you make. Cash is, not, cash is not free. Whereas digital, when you go digital, actually you can save a lot of money uh, by moving from cash to digital. The second thing is convenience. So both WeChat, which has a, had a massive social media presence even in the 2000s, um, as well as Alipay, which is linked to the Alibaba uh, infrastructure owned by Ant Financial. There was hundreds and millions of people leveraging this for various reasons. So it's very convenient to start using this infrastructure for payments. Third is safety. So there's an impression of safety. 98% of users in China believe that mobile payments through either WeChat or Alipay is safe to use. Um, obviously, reality is a little bit different. There's quite a bit of scams that happen with these two systems, and, and those two companies are working hard to try to reduce that number of scams. But at least the impression of safety is there. It's fun to use. That's the other point. It, it, these companies have made it really fun to use payments on their cell phones. Um, the instant gratification of moving money or the assignment, you know, making sure that the payment is linked in a, in a pleasurable way um, has really driven usage. And then the, finally, it's easy. It's really easy to use. Um, and what the, these companies are, are looking to leverage on this ease of use by adding additional financial services, such as investment funds, insurance, um, and, and things like that. So this model is actually being replicated in a number of other markets um, outside of China, in Thailand, the Philippines, Indonesia, India. Um, a lot of the same model that was successful in, in China is actually being transported to other parts of, of Asia. Um, so again, what, what can the West learn? Um, well, it's, a, again, a little bit different. When I, when I mentioned at the beginning that in the West, there's already a high penetration of credit cards. What I think the West can learn is how can you actually start leveraging instant payments, which is still relatively low uh, utilization in the West, to provide additional benefits to the consumer around the five things uh, that I mentioned. Uh, reducing the cost, making it fun, making it convenient, adding additional services. This is where I think the, the West can really learn from, from what happened in China. Um, and innovation is a big, is a big um, feature that triggered a lot of the growth. So I mentioned printed QR codes, the quick response codes, um, was really effectively used in China to, to bring in thousands of merchants without being sophisticated themselves. This is something that I think can be replicated here. And we're beginning to see that in the West, in the U.S., and in Europe. 
Um, and I think the other piece that I think uh, the West can leverage is security and the perception of security should be high. So that is something that a lot of uh, thought should be going, should go into how to make these particular types of transactions feel more secure to the user. How has the pandemic really accelerated the need for digital payments? Is it something that has been, that the process has been speeded up by the, by the arrival of COVID-19? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, let me start with a, with a personal story. So um, I, have a, I have a 13-year-old child who takes trumpet lessons every week. And before the pandemic, he went to see his teacher and his teacher only took cash or checks as a form of payment. Um, even though, you know, me being a payments expert, I always tried to convince them to use uh, the U.S. payment methods that we have here that are, that are easy, like Zelle or Venmo. And he re re really refused to do this. He preferred cash and checks, just fine. After the pandemic, we moved those lessons to um, online. So we used FaceTime calls. And the only, so obviously it became more painful to pay using cash or checks. And that teacher decided to, that it was okay to go online and, and started to accept Venmo payments, which is the uh, U.S. Uh, uh, it's, it's owned by PayPal, and they're increasingly pushing uh, mobile payments between, you know, between people. And, and right now, actually, a lot of corporates are beginning to leverage Venmo. And there are other, other providers similar to Venmo coming on, online as well. Zelle is the, is the other uh, online payment provider. So that teacher would, told me that he would never go back. He would never go back to cash and checks the, it really transformed how he, he gets paid. It's convenient. He, he can track the record of payments. He feels that it's safe. You don't have to deal with cash. Um, and, and I think it's, it's become sort of a change. It changed his life forever. So the pandemic, re, so this personal story, you can multiply that by millions of people who are probably experiencing the same type of impact due to the pandemic specifically due to their own payment behavior. If you think about it, the same thing is true for checks. Um, pre before the pandemic, uh, I mean, the U.S. is a very heavy user of checks, um, but people were sending checks by mail. And what happened with the pandemic is those checks were used to clear in a week, maybe five, maybe eight days, 10 days. Well, now, now they're taking over a month in some cases to clear. People weren't going into the offices. Some of the lockbox facilities in the U.S. Um, slowed down their processing. So, so checks became more difficult to clear. So there's a lot more demand to, mush, to change those checks to a more digital environment. Um, so we saw this not just in the West. We saw this absolutely in, in, in Asia, in, in emerging markets. So there was a big push to move the payment behavior to a digital payment behavior. And that's something that, that definitely resonated, um, frankly, globally. And the, the second piece is touchless payments. People didn't want to touch cash. Um, you know, due to the pandemic, there's a lot of fear around touching physical objects, including cash. So touchless payments started to take off. And you already saw um, in, in, in many parts of the world, you already had touchless payments that were beginning to take off. But I would say that touchless payments really um, became very popular after the pandemic. 
So if you take a look at um, ASEAN, um, another great example of, of you know, what we've seen post-pandemic is I want to bring up in Singapore. Uh, in Singapore, after the pandemic, the instant payment schemes, which was launched a few years ago, grew 50% from 2019 to 2020. Uh, so this is in an, in an environment where everybody was going online to survive um, you know, many companies started selling their goods online. Um, you know, restaurants started to offer delivery services through online ordering. Um, so this is a massive shift in, in a lot of the retail industry. And we saw that in the payment behavior. So the pandemic really changed the way companies operated and they needed to do that to survive. And if I give you a, a few more points, um, subsequent to the you know, massive growth of instant payments, in Singapore, the, the instant payment scheme is called PayNow, and PayNow uses proxy payments. So because of the massive growth, a lot of these companies are now saying, hey, um, I would prefer to get this type of payment because it's relatively cheap, in some cases almost free, compared to a credit card, which, which even though it's digital, would cost about three to four percent on average to the merchant. So, if you think about a restaurant um, in Singapore, you're, you're seeing many retail outlets, including restaurants, stopping the acceptance of credit card. And the reason for this is, if you go back and think about what a restaurant margin is, it's roughly it's roughly zero to fifteen percent. That's what they typically make in total uh, margins, uh, which is you know, quite small. So if you, if you assume 10% is, is the average, and now payment behavior is such that you're eliminating credit cards and you're moving to instant payments, you could potentially add 3% back to the profitability of these retail or restaurant outlets. And that's a 30% boost to profitability. The pandemic has kind of shown not only can you go digital, but you can also save tons of money by moving to these new instant payment types that are attached to mobile payments. Looking now really towards kind of like the, the corporate side of the markets, how can US corporate clients tap into the Asian markets? Like how can they maybe expand their reach more into Asia? So if you take a look um, at how the large US corporates and even some of the middle market clients are beginning to expand into Asia, and there's definitely a heavy reliance on uh, credit cards. Uh, I would say an over-reliance. And so I think one of the things that I would suggest is find ways to tap into the, the fast-growing mobile payment and instant payment schemes that I just talked about. So the, there are two points that come to mind. One is consider how to convert the card utilization. So cards is something that I'm seeing as something becoming less popular um, in, in parts of Asia. Uh, it does not have some of the popularity that it has in, in the US and, and generally in the West. So leverage, find ways to leverage these mobile payments and instant payments. Consider how, do you, how you use QR-based payments uh, so that when you offer these payment options to, to your users, they can pick the, the payment that is the most convenient for them. And in some cases could end up being quite a much cheaper alternative. 
So there are payment aggregators that exist in a number of uh, countries in Asia. So these are companies, uh, banks included, that offer a, a basically a, a full menu of payment options, including mobile payments and instant direct instant payment integration. So I would recommend looking at some of these payment aggregators so that you can massively expand the payment options you're providing your clients. And this is either for retail clients or for, let's say, clients that you may have in the small business space. And, and I think that the, the um, convenience that you can provide your clients is, is really what this particular client set is, is looking for. And, and then the second point that comes to mind is we've seen an, an explosion of APIs. APIs are the application programming interfaces that, you know, they've been around for many years. Um, so travel agencies have used them for, for years where you can go see, you know, the, the cheapest price for uh, trips from multiple airlines. APIs are used in that infrastructure. So the financial industry has just in the last, four to five years really started to integrate APIs into the financial offerings. And what that does is it helps integrate in real time some of the instant payment schemes and mobile money schemes into uh, the various payment infrastructures. And that what that means is it really makes it, it could provide opportunities to make the payment experience a lot more real time a lot more fun, and it provides for the ability to 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 add additional innovations in in the payment space. As, as an example of of an innovation that 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 I think is is quite powerful, we have a company that in India, it's a lubricant oil company, where you know if you go if you're driving a motorcycle down the side of the road in India. When you want to add lubricants to your motorcycle, there are um, companies, small companies at the side of the road that will offer you four or five options. So there's a company that decided to put a QR code in the inside cap of one of the lubricants. And if the drivers use that particular company's product, they could scan the inside of the code and within seconds, they would get an immediate rebate for choosing that particular product. So it's an incentive scheme that actually drove um, additional business to that particular product. And it became a very successful way to, to help that company grow in India. Now, to enable that, you need a linkage to the instant payment schemes and APIs were used with links to the bank and to the local instant payment infrastructure to make that happen. But that's the type of innovation that I think Western companies should consider when they when they think about payment behavior in Asia. Okay, that's great. Thank you, Tarek, for joining me today. No, it's my pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Kimberly. And you can keep up to date by subscribing to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast, and follow our discussions at thebanker.com/podcasts. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.